This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, my name's Sean Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. In this episode, I spoke with Brooks McDonald CEO Andrew Shepherd, nearly a year into him taking on the top job at the wealth firm. We speak about culture alongside deal rumours and challenges surrounding tech transition. To keep up with the latest updates on The Wealth Show, click the follow button on Spotify. So it's been nearly a year since you've taken on the CEO role at Brooks. Um, What have you changed since taking that position? Well, I think uh, given that I've been there 20 years this week, um, and I've been on the executive committee for over a decade, sat on the board in total for about a decade, um, I haven't had to change too much. So in terms of what the business looks like, the structure, where we're planning to go, much of that is, is still similar. There are, there are changes, though. Every CEO is different. So you know, the way that I look at the business in terms of you know, the culture that I want to drive within that business will be slightly different to Chris McDonald, who ran the business for, for decades, um, and then Caroline Conlon, who, who looked after it after, after Chris. So you know, I'm very focused on things like uh, enjoying work, so I, f- I think the people who come to work and enjoy it are much more productive. Um, I, think, uh, I think you enjoy work when you're on the front foot, so when you're growing. So it's about being, being ambitious. And then it's about working within our guiding principles. And we've had guiding principles for a long time now. We, the, the, the colleagues, employees within the business, put them together. And you know, we focus very much on caring for the client and the introducer and, and each other. We make sure that we collaborate with each other and with our partners. Um, we, we focus very much, we're making a decision on doing the right thing and then on making a difference. So whether that's making a difference to the people you're working with or your clients or the community that you're around. So it's, that's uh, in terms of culture, which I think is one of the main things that a, a new CEO brings to a business. You know, those, there, are, there are changes, tweaks around that. And then the other main thing is around, is around strategy. And as I say, you know, being the lead investment manager for intermediaries has long been the, uh, the aim of the business. And you know, I ran distribution in the UK for, for eight years, focusing on IFAs. And I was an IFA myself to start with. So surprise, surprise, it hasn't changed a lot. Now, you say you haven't changed much, but clearly when your predecessor, Caroline Canadam, was in charge, there was a bit of a dis- degree of dissatisfaction. Um, there was quite considerable high staff turnover. Mm. I think, you know, looking at some of the comments on our, on our site, there were definitely some yeah. negative comments. I think you agree with that. Yeah. Um, so perhaps you could go into a bit more detail about what has changed in, in that res- regard towards culture. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, from a, let me give you a bit, of, uh, uh, a bit of perspective and context around this. So Caroline came in after we'd had a, a, a great period of growth for a long time, and the business was, had done extraordinarily well, but coming into a different regulatory and compliance environment. So Caroline, and 
this is a really good thing. Caroline came in and she rebased the business. She rebuilt the foundations from the perspective of risk management frameworks and, and the like. So, and that, that was required at that point in time. Um, so where we are now, really moving into, into a growth mode, um, as we have been for the last year or so, is in part thanks to the foundations that, that were put in place. As I say, all CEOs have a different, have a different um, view on, on culture and indeed on how to run the business. I can't really talk about either of those two, although I worked under both CEOs for, for good long periods. Both, I worked under them as deputy CEO um, for both. Uh, but my culture is my own, and that's kind of what that's what I bring to it. Is you know, the, Brooks is a really nice family place to work, and that's uh, I try and ensure that that's the case. But with you know the ambition to to really grow from where we are. So, what was the stem of that negativity? You say sort of going through a regulatory change. Was it uh, an aspect of sort of the old guard having a bit of a, a negative view of Caroline? Um, I'm not sure I can speak to that. If I'm totally honest. Um, well, what you will get in, in any business where you've had a founding CEO in for 25 years, uh, Alex Ferguson, probably, probably a prime example, um, you bring somebody else in with different ideas, people have been very used to, to one way of working for a long time and maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Let's move on to the growth plans for the business. Yeah. Um, obviously you bought Lloyd's Channel Islands division, um, mm -hmm. and also we saw that uh, there was a, a deal that, that didn't go through with 7IM, um, and when we, we sort of learned that, that, well, we learned <laughs> that that didn't go through at the end of last year. Perhaps, perhaps we could start off with the 7IM deal. What, what happened there? Um, well, I mean, I can't talk to, uh, uh, to any rumours such, such as that. I think, um, I think there's two parts to this. So there's organic growth on the one side, and then there's inorganic growth on the other. And the, the organic bit is the most important to me, but I'll deal with that second because you've asked about inorganic first. So we have a lot of conversations with loads of companies across the, across the industry, as do, as do many other people. Um, but we focus on four criteria. So A, we want to buy a quality business. You, know, you can pay very little, but that doesn't mean you're going to get quality. We want to have uh, a business adding strategic value to us. Um, it's got to add economic benefit for both sides, for, the, for us and, and anybody else to want to do the piece of business. And critically for me, you know, we talked about culture. It's got to have a culture that fits in with Brooks. So Cornelian and Lloyd's both ticked all four of those boxes. Um, and oddly, or unsurprisingly, more to the point, both of them integrated really well into, into Brooks. Now, the seven was a, was a story that, that Sky decided to, to run with, and I can't, I can't comment on that. Clearly there's no active uh, discussions or we'd be telling you about it anyway. So Sure. And, and do you think that inorganic growth is necessary to the future success of the business? Um, uh, so, I mean, we have three pillars of growth and uh, inorganic is one of them. Um, I strongly believe that you need organic growth, I mean, partly as proof of concept. You know, you should be growing org organically or you haven't got what the market actually wants. So organic's clearly key. The, we've moved to 4% positive net flows in the last six months of last year. All of the discretionary service are now in positive. The, uh, the aim is not to stop at four. You know, the, the next aim is that we move into upper single digits. And then the, the long-term aim is that we move back to over 10% net flows, which would be, you know, upper single digits would be market leading, but 
um, double is really where, where we want to be. So organic is, uh, is key to us as a business. And then if we can add quality in organic to that, then fantastic. Well, what we've done, and I've no doubt we'll talk about SS&C at some point mm -hmm. in time, is we've, bought, we've put together a really scalable business. So if we add assets to that, we're not adding lots and lots of headcount, we're not adding lots and lots of cost. We can add profit to, uh, to that which we're already producing, which clearly, you know, hope, well, I'd like to think creates a virtuous circle, which is, I think, what, what we all as CEOs look for, which is high profit, high profit margins, which allow you to reinvest in your business for growth, for, you know, to pay people re really well, which we all want to do. Um, and then that growth hopefully provides more, more profits uh, ongoing. Let's dig in, dig in a bit deeper to the organic growth. How do you intend yeah. to achieve that? Is that by yeah, yeah. hiring sort of exceptional staff? How are you yeah. uh, marketing? How are you going to do that? Yeah, well, both of, uh, both of those points. But first of all, we've got to have the right proposition set. So I feel the industry has changed a lot over the last decade or so. Um, if you go back a decade, financial advisors would recommend that clients go into bespoke solutions you know, in the main, uh, partly because then the client got something which was tailored for them, partly because there was hand-holding all the way through it. You know, there was lots of added value there. In the last decade, that has gone 180 degrees. So um, MPS, managed portfolios, normally on platforms is, is the... It's the default, it's the bulk, that's where the bulk of the assets go. And then bespoke, uh, where you do pay more, there's got to be a reason to go there. So there's a good logic to, to why, we've, uh, why we've ended up in this place. So what we need to do is make sure that our proposition is, is best in class, and that applies in models as much as it does in, in bespoke. In bespoke, we're very comfortable. We've got a great product set which deals with lots of, uh, of what I would call the more technical and awkward uh, positions. And in the model world, it's more difficult because to differentiate, you can't really differentiate on price or on performance. Those are, those are really hygiene factors now. So how do you differentiate outside of that? And that's really around technology. So we'll come back to that. So come back to making advisors' um, lives uh, really, really easy. And then in partnerships. So how do you sit down with, with financial advisors and help them on their journey, whatever that journey is, to, to wherever it is. So I think, uh, I think the proposition side of it is, uh, is key. And has the MPS become sort of the bulk of your business now? It's in terms of uh, new flows, um, it is now in the majority, um, but not by much at the moment. But I think that, that that's going to continue to, to change. I mean, our, our uh, MPS on platforms was up 73% in 2021 from 2020. And, that, and it wasn't on a small number uh, then. So the, that, is, uh, that is where the, the real growth is at this point in time. But as I say, all those discretionary services are in growth mode. So. Um, you talked about integrating the new businesses that you've purchased. Yeah. Um, you know, what have been the challenges of integrating sort mm. of Lloyd's as Channel Islands division, for example, How, what would yeah. have been the challenges in, in, in doing so? So, um, with the Lloyd's acquisition, the, the challenges are going to be twofold. The challenges will be people, um, and that's, that's always the, the first challenge, which, which if you get the culture mix right between you and the firm that you're, 
you're acquiring. Um, that clearly makes it a lot easier. And then proposition, so fitting the proposition into, into what we do. We were really lucky. The people who came over from Lloyd's are a fantastic bunch, really open-minded, really excited to be moving into a firm which was you know, ambitious for, for growth. And then our own people within the business were really welcoming, you know, got their arms around them, okay, in you come, this is how we work, because obviously it's, it's different. And then uh, and, and it's, really, uh, it's really moved on quickly from there. And then from a propositional perspective, whoever, whoever you bring in is going to have a slightly different proposition. So their discretionary proposition is actually very close to our, our MPS, so that, that moulded in quite nicely. And then the funds business, and the, the, for the reason we first talked to Lloyds about this was they wanted to um, offload uh, their funds business. And that gave us an internationally domiciled multi-asset fund range. But then we had to build it out because it didn't have all the component parts. So we've now launched the new funds and new share classes that we need to. So end of last year, we got to the point where actually we've got a really fit for purpose uh, fund range that we can take to market. So the challenge is probably twofold. And uh, because we'd done the work beforehand, it does not pay to rush into these things. You do your due diligence properly. And, uh, and I mean, we worked really closely with Lloyd's management all the way through that process, found out you know, where, the, where any trouble points might be, could, were able to deal with those. So it was, a, it was actually a really positive experience, which then led to us agreeing with Lloyd's management that we'd work on future, future ideas um, around their, their offshore clients and indeed from our perspective being able to offer things like mortgages and, uh, and uh, portfolio lending. Um, looking at your most recent set of results, um, mm. your pre-tax profit fell from 14.1 million to 13.2 million. Mm. Um, perhaps you could talk about why the performance was a little muted in comparison to, to the last set of results. Yeah, well the last set of results I mean, it goes back to the Lloyds acquisition. Um, we, we had to book a £5 million gain on that, uh, that purchase straight off the bat. So actually, when you compare like for like, take that out, we're up 45% in the, in the period. So yeah, it was a one-off gain we, we had to book on the purchase. And so sort of taking that out of, of the equation and saying 45% up, mm. why were you 45% up? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, strong cost control across the business. Um, the result of the Lloyd's acquisition coming on board and adding that profit into, uh, into you know, what was already a pretty strong set of numbers. Um, there have been some issues with the transition over to SS&C. Um, perhaps this is an opportunity for you to, to explain kind of why that's happened. And, and there, were, yeah. there were some additional costs, you know, 2.2 million in costs in it mm. for, for the tech overhaul and 1.6 million of costs running parallel systems as well in your most sure. recent results. So, yeah, so yeah, perhaps yeah. You, we could go into that a bit further. Yeah, okay. So uh, remind me to talk to you about the numbers because um, there's quite a few bits in, in this. So first of all, it's a wider question. So is outsourcing right for our firm or indeed any other firm? And I strongly believe that outsourcing is the right thing for Brooks McDonald at this point in our life cycle and, uh, and this size. So we had a choice. You know, we either really um, up our game in terms of our ability to develop our own operations side and our own uh, technology infrastructure, or we go out and, and buy, you know, partner with somebody who's going to provide us with that long-term capability. 
And I, I, think, uh, I think it's a game changer for us. I think it means that we don't have to put profit after profit into building up internal teams to do, to do what we're not meant to do. Mm. You know, we're investment managers on the one side, we're fi financial planners, we are distributors, you know, but we're not operational experts and, and technology experts. And I should say we've got a fantastic technology team. So it's not casting aspersions on them, but they're not building out a technology and platform inf infrastructure um, for us. But be that as it may, you've blown out a deadline for this transition by oh. outsourcing. So there, obviously yeah, yeah. there is an issue there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to run away from that. Um, much the opposite. So if, if by issue you mean delay, then yes, absolutely. And I'll put that down to a couple of factors. Um, we put in place an 11-month deadline to get back, middle and front changed completely. That was not realistic. In, in, in retrospect, mm. at the time, you're gangbusters and, yeah, let's go for it, we'll get this done in 11 months. It's a huge, huge undergoing, this, this, the digital transformation that we've decided to, to do. As I say, I mean, it's the back office operational platform. It's the middle office that the investment managers are working on day to day. It's client portal and digital onboarding at, at the front. It's massive. So to think we could do it in 11 months, if I'm totally honest, um, was we got that wrong. Um, but on the other side of that equation, it's taken a little bit longer than we thought because SS&C have gone out and purchased Hubwise, the, the UK platform, which is an absolute result for us. Hubwise brings a lot of uh, knowledge around intermediaries in particular um, and around uh, trading functionality for, to name two, two benefits to us. And clearly we wanted to include that in our own development of, of the system as we're, as we're going to use it. So that adds on a bit of time. So when you Absolutely. went to SSNC and said, we want to do this in 11 months, was there a pushback from them? Did they say, this just isn't possible? And you, were, you, were you pushing forward and saying, well, I'm sure we can? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was sitting in Jersey um, in the middle of COVID at the time, so I, I don't know the exact conversations. But I, do, I mean, there was a very, very rigorous plan per, put in place I think it's when you get into these things and you see the size of the of the task in moving from one set of systems into another, then there's, then there's a reality check and actually, okay, this is going to take a little bit longer. Um, yeah, so, uh, but I mean, I, I don't want it to come across at any point as if this is something that worries me. You know, the, to come back to the 2.2 and the 1.6, the, they were in plan. So there are additional costs, but we knew there was going to be a cost of, of putting in the system. But we didn't have to tell anybody you know, what all these individual costs are because it was all within our plan. And then when we get to the end of the year, to the half yearly results, we didn't put any more costs in, which we would have had to if it had been material. But it isn't because we've got a 10-year contract with SS&C. And the advantage of, of that is, A, you're both developing a system as you go along. Um, and so all the cost doesn't fall on, on any individual. Um, but also, it should allow us to take out this, this oscillation. Um, so the example I'll give, in the past, you spend an absolute bucket of money, you, become the, you have the best tech in the industry, three years later, you have to spend an absolute bucket of money because you've got the worst tech in the industry, and up you go again, which is as, as you'd expect when you've got an improving technology curve. What we've done with the partnership is get to the top of that technology curve and then incrementally, continuously improve the technology that we've got so as we don't go through that process, we'll just, yes, we'll spend on tech every year, everybody will,
but we're not going to have those big blips because we're going to be investing every year. So the spend is a bit more predictable the whole way through. That's, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. spot on. And, um, so you're currently on JHC systems. Yeah, yeah. What's the issue there? You know, why transfer in the, in the first place? Yeah, yeah. So um, when we were when we were doing the RFP at the start start of this, we went through, and obviously uh, JHC, FNZ were were involved in that. But the, at that point in time, and actually, be fair to them, I think their business has, has moved on since then. SS and C had the different component parts that we we wanted for our future future um, digital improvements and improving capabilities. Well, I would say, in all fairness to FNZ, you know, we've had they've been involved in this process the, the whole way through. We have good conversations with them about about what we need to do, when, and they've been supportive. So uh, it's actually been an okay experience. Yeah. And, and let's look at some of the, the kind of extra functionality that you think you're going to be able to have with, with these new digital capabilities. Mm. Yeah, where, yeah. where will that take the business? Are, are you, you know, mm. maybe looking into the kind of robo-advisor realm or kind of what kind of extra digital tools are you going to have at your disposal there? So, so our aim is to truly be an easy to use provider in a space which is traditionally hard to, hard to use, to be frank. So, for example, we're going through uh, the rollout at the moment of our digital onboarding. So and that takes you from um, well, quotes that, I, that I've seen is, you know, you've got two hours, 20 being spent filling out multiple forms. It takes 12 minutes to do it through digital onboarding. So if you're sitting there asking Mr. Financial Advisor, can you fill out all of these forms, please? Um, they are far more likely to say yes if actually they have one form to fill out, which is, which is digital, and then that can be applied across everything that they're, that they're doing for that particular client. So that's a step change. Um, the new client portal that we're putting in place, which will go live when we, when we go through the final migration of our discretionary services onto the new platform, then that again takes, moves us on leap years in terms of the, the functionality um, for the advisor but also for the, for the end client. So in all of this stuff, make it easy for the client, make it easy for the advisor, why wouldn't they use Brooks? Obviously, we're, we're coming into a, a period of pretty significant volatility, um, yeah. a, a lot out of your control, obviously, war, mm. war in Ukraine, um, significant inflation at the moment. How do you position yourself mm. um, as a wealth firm during the, these periods of, of extreme uncertainty? Because yeah. um, obviously we've been in a in a bull market for years. Um, this is probably the real test for you. you know, how, how do you manage that? Yeah, um, that's, that is a good question. So clearly uh, our revenues are linked to market. So let me talk about the company and let me talk about the client. There's two, two separate pieces. The, uh, from a company perspective, um, client portfolios are linked to markets in some way, shape or form, depending on how much risk you're taking on their behalf. Therefore, when markets fall, your revenues do fall. The, the, the good news for us is that because we've spelt, spent the last couple of years really building up the strength of the business and you know, we've got the margin up to 28.4, yes, markets come off, therefore your revenues will come off, therefore your margin will come off um, uh, to, a, to a degree, but we're coming from a high level. So actually the profitability of the business, will, you know, we can cope with quite a significant market, market sell-off before... You know, you'd need to take any, um, any, any actions within the business bar just being sensible in your cost control. 
which, which, which is where we've been for the last couple of years anyway. So I don't think we need to make huge changes there. But also from the business perspective, you talk about inflation. I mean, clearly that's an issue. Our fees don't go up, go up with inflation. They, they move with, uh, with markets. Um, and in that, you've got, to, you've got two sides to the coin. You've got our, um, our input costs, as it were, which, to be fair, very few of which are inflation-linked. So, so that's, um, um, that's OK on the, on the one side. And then you've got wage costs, you know, which you know, wages are 30, 40% of, uh, of our overall cost base. And we are going to have to look after the people who work for us over this next period. Um, particularly those who, um, you know, they're, they're talking the press today about um, this this time around. It's a seven hundred pound increase in uh, in the cost of uh, fuels and energy, and then there's another six hundred coming in October. Now, whether that's right or not, I don't know. But if every family is taking a thirteen hundred pound hit over the over the year, someone on twenty grand is uh, that's going to be very painful. So we need to we need to make sure that we look after our people and we look after the after the right people, um, in particular. So, so that's from a business perspective. From a client perspective, it's all about holding hands. So clients and, and intermediaries. So making, whenever, uh, whenever um, markets are going up, it's very easy to talk to your clients. So yes, so things are going great, aren't they? It's lovely. Yes, thank you very much for the well done. Slap on the back. Brilliant. Um, but actually, you only really get judged and tested when you're in difficult market conditions, which is where we are at the moment, obviously. So the ask of our people is to spend time with the clients, you know, make sure that they understand what's going on, answer any questions, reassure. And the result of all of that has been that the client bank so far, because who knows what he's going to do next, but so far they're fairly sanguine. They understand that markets will move because we've got a war, frankly, on our doorstep. Um, and and they're not moving funds, they're not asking to reduce attitude to risk, things like that, which, you, which in 2008, we had lots of that. You know, that was much more, uh, much more difficult from a client management perspective. This is, this is very much in your face on the front of the pages and understandable. And from an investment perspective, where are you, mm. how are you changing portfolios? Yeah, so I mean, portfolios at the moment, it's about reweighting. So we moved to, we had a bit of a growth bias running into the middle of last year, or not an insignificant growth bias actually. And we've moved that much more towards neutral, as in neutral value, neutral, uh, neutral growth, which, uh, which helped us at the start of this year, probably brought us back into the pack because we've had some really good performance over the, over the uh, medium and long term, and still do, um, but probably brought us into the short term pack at the moment. Um, and uh, we're very happy with that balanced portfolio as we sit here today. Then there'll be an argument for later in the year. We can start thinking about putting bets on as we see how things are, are playing out. But at the moment, keeping it balanced is fine. Um, making sure that you're not an outlier in terms of performance is is important. Is there any sort of allocation to more allocation to alternatives, for example? Are you kind of looking more towards commodities, gold, those kind of things, or, or, or have you, haven't, you haven't changed too much? No, we haven't changed too much. We, we, we've all. We've always had a balance in terms of our general asset allocation. So yes, there's alternatives in there. There's structured uh, return in, in there, um, and also equities, bonds, property. So it's always been balanced, um, and we haven't felt the need to to rush into uh, alternatives. For example, at this point in time, fundamentally, still believe that equities are the best value for any client over the over the longer term, 
And remember, you know, if a client comes to us and they want equity in their portfolio on day one, then they have to be with us for, or they have to say they're going to be with us for more than five years. So, you know, you've got to try and take the short-termism out of it. And that's what all the conversations with clients and advisors are about, because you, you don't make decisions based upon what's happening over three months or six months. You do that over the long term. Um, we talked earlier about inorganic growth, but you, you also mm -hmm. mentioned how you've been improving your profit margin across mm -hmm. the business. Yeah. Um, you know, is the business now quite attractive to other businesses? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a, an element that, you know, people might be looking at, at Brooks as, as a potential acquisition? I mean, could, could the business be, yeah. be sold to a bigger player? It, it, it possibly is getting into that, that realm now. Well, we're a listed business, so at any point in time, if someone comes in with a, with a big offer, the board will have to look at it. Um, but it's actually more of a problem when your profit margin's lower and your, your uh, share price will tend to be um, more vulnerable. So where we are at the moment, actually compared to, to peers, as in our direct peers, we've got a little bit of a premium to our valuation to them. So I, I'm not uncomfortable I mean, it doesn't help when you have 25% of your share price shaved off because of the, the market movements, because we're viewed as a leverage play on the, on the market. So suddenly you look a, bit, a little bit cheaper. But I think the main point about acquisition full stop is this culture one. So if you, if you try and buy a business and they don't want to be bought in our sector, it's value destruction. You, know, you get investment managers moving, you get all sorts, it all blows up. And then you haven't got any value left from the deal that you were, you were trying to do. So when you see two companies, or when I see two companies come together, the first thing I think is, okay, are they natural bedfellows? You know, are they adding value to each other? And are they going to fit culturally? Because if, if that doesn't work, the, the acquisition won't work. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.